Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. All right, welcome everybody to our next episode of Dirty Drinks. How are you today, Dr. Starlin? I am doing well, Sarah, and yourself? Not too bad. I am super excited for our guest today. Um, We have Dr. Mark Shapiro, who's a hospitalist and has his own podcast, Explore the Space. Welcome to our show, Dr. Shapiro. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. As I shared with you just before we started, I am still struggling. (coughs) I'm still struggling from the effects of way too much wasabi on my sushi at lunchtime. So this is going to be a, a good podcast. Yeah, that sounds okay. terrific. All I had was a granola bar and a Coke. So you did, uh, you scored. You sound like an academic physician, granola <laughs> bar and a Coke. That sounds correct. That sounds very correct. Yep. It's healthy, right? Oh yeah, it's fine. Absolutely. I would endorse <laughs> it. I mean, I've done it many, many times. I keep granola bars in my locker at the hospital, the, the kind bars. It's the, the box of like 50 that you get at Costco. And um, one of them is like dark chocolate almond. And the other one is like salted caramel peanut. And they say that they have a low glycemic index. So it's an excuse to eat like two of them with a coffee at three in the afternoon. It's perfect. I had it about uh, an hour ago and I had exactly a peanut and an almond one that was from the lounge because it was, it, it, the price was right. So that's, that's how it worked for me. <laughs> lounge granola bars. That'll be the name <laughs> of your next podcast. You got dirty drinks and lounge granola. That is a great idea. Totally. We could have dirty drinks with our lounge granola bars. <laughs> if we ever get That's video, good. we could eat, actually eat them and, and do it too. It would be uh, it would be outstanding, right? Stimulating conversation. To, to quote my friend Caitlin Thompson, who's the editor of Racket Magazine, if you have a night of dirty drinks and lounge granola, you need to ask yourself some hard questions. <laughs> it's true. Rethink your life a little bit. <laughs> this is going to be fun. I'm ready. Let's do this. Awesome. Well, uh, usually the first question we ask our guest is um, kind of how did you get into medicine and what what were some choices that you made to get into that path? You know, for me, medicine, I, I've matured in how I think about this. I think the younger Mark Shapiro said, I came to it on my own way and I majored in history at UCLA and I tried all these different things. I've really come to now, I think more, and those things are all true. And I liked the way I came to it. I tried lots of different things when I was an undergrad and I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do until after I worked in a hospital. But what what I've come to understand and and really just embrace and own more is it really is in my DNA. I'm a third generation physician. You know, my grandfather was a physician in South Africa. Um, He was the like classic, he wasn't old school at the time. That was the school. Like he would drive way out into the bush to deliver babies. He would take care of patients in the hospital in major metropolitan centers. He did it all. He put on the uniform of the South African army and fought the Nazis in North Africa as a doctor. Um, And that really informed the rest of his life. You know, my dad started medical school when he was 15 years old in South Africa, uh, came to the United States to finish his training. And I was born where I live now. So I, I actually really like the fact that it's in my DNA and that a big part of who I am as a Shapiro man is I'm, I'm the next in line. 
saying all that, I don't expect my son, who is, you know, the next Shapiro man to want to be a doctor, but it's really interesting to see how he does just naturally gravitate towards it. He's got a doctor <laughs> bag. And if I drop something on my foot and say, ouch, he will literally say, wait, I have to go get my bag. And he'll come over with his play stethoscope, put it in his ears and auscultate my chest. <laughs> I think it's seeing that, which is like, it makes me want to cry just telling those stories. But like, that's what I think has helped me embrace it, that there is something intrinsic in who I am as a person, where before you would rebel and say, you know, I'm a, my dad is a doctor, but I came to this on my own terms, like, no, I didn't. This is awesome. Like, I get to really be part of something special that spans centuries. I am in. Yeah, your son certainly sounds like he's an internist in training for an orthopedic injury. He grabs his stethoscope. That's right. But he'll say to me, daddy, I'm a stomach surgeon. You're a hospitalist. And there's like a little bit of shade thrown when he says it. I'm like, my dude, I get that enough at the hospital, buddy. Like dial it back. That's, how old is he? He's five. He's five. He's a, he's at kindergarten right now, you know, but he's, it, it's, it really, I think has been his influence in my experience, relishing his sense of medicine and asking questions about what I do at work, daddy, and where is your office, daddy, and how many, every morning, how many patients do you have today, daddy? That's helped me to understand that there is something really special that winds itself in my DNA. And I've just really kind of come to embrace that much more than I ever did. And it's pretty delightful. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's awesome. So you are actually the first hospitalist that we've had on the show. So yes, Hooray! let's Woo! go. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes we have some listeners that maybe aren't aware of exactly yeah. what that is. So yeah. can you, yeah. can you explain your job role a little bit? Absolutely. I am a hospitalist, which means I specialize in the care of hospitalized adults. And it's specific. To, I, I use that level of specificity because we also have pediatric hospitalists who specialize in the care of hospitalized kids. Hospital medicine is one of the newest professions in medicine worldwide and certainly in American medicine. It's about 25 years old. It's also the fastest growing specialty in the history of American medicine. Um, there are hospitalists for adults like myself in virtually every hospital in the United States, not all, um, you know, critical access hospitals, smaller facilities, things of that nature may not be there, but uh, it's, it's become the standard of, ca of care delivery in most American hospitals. It's also spun off. There are OBGYN hospitalists, there are cardiology hospitalists, there certainly are surgical hospitalists, acute care surgeons. Uh, it's been an amazing part. I, I learned the term when I was a medical student. It, that's when the first papers were published. And it's been really, really wonderful to, to watch it grow. And speaking of wonderful, oh my gosh, Dr. Cockut, hi. We have a special Hi. guest. Oh my gosh. How does that happen? Look, we hear each other's voices like for the first time, not pre-recorded ever. This is amazing. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Is that your dog barking or mine? I have two dogs because I'm working from home. Um, and my children, I'm guessing are walking in the front door of um, our house. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. You guys are ahead. So they're coming home. My son is still at school for two more hours. Uh, Dr. Yeah, Cockett and I have, we've known each other virtually for three or four years. We've written a paper together. This is the first time we've had a conversation. Yeah, Dirty Drinks totally Podcast true. bringing us together. Thank you. That, that's <laughs> and you should not call me Dr. Cockett. You should definitely call me Kelly. <laughs> okay, that's fair. You have to, you all have to call me Mark. That's only fair then. Yeah, we're trying to bring the world together. That's a, that's our goal. So this is awesome. Thanks for I'm popping so on. I'm so delighted. Kelly. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was so funny when I, actually, when I was giving my talk for WIMS, 
I actually had that up and we were talking about, I'm like, there are people I've written this paper with that I've never actually talked to in any kind of real life I know. capacity at all. That's so cool. I love it. I, I, <laughs> so what you, what you're referencing was the women in medicine summit that just took place this last week mm-hmm. uh, in you know late September. And it was a virtual conference. And, you know, we both got to participate. We wrote this paper on mission driven tweeting, which if you had told me I was going to write a paper on mission driven tweeting in a professional capacity, when I was a resident, I would have said, you know, that's like, that's a sliding doors moment that I don't want any part of. And here we are. And it's a really good paper. And so we both have this graphic that we've shared on the five A's of mission-based tweeting. And we'd never met. We've literally never even spoken on the phone. And here we are writing like peer-reviewed articles together. It's the it's just the best. This is so fun. Well, you're gonna have to explain to us what the five A's of mission-driven tweeting are. I don't even I I don't I can't even say that I've ever I've never said that for sure. Exactly. Kelly, take now it. Now you're in trouble. Like your office is right next to mine and you're on the corner. How did you miss this? Like I know, but you're at home right now, so you can't times. you can't throw anything at me because you're not here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Kelly, I have the graphic pulled up on my laptop. If you don't have it convenient, I'm ready. But should we fire away? Yeah, go for it. I don't have it pulled up this second. All right, the five I'm gonna I'm gonna say them and you get to comment on them. All right. The first one is authenticity is key. So be yourself. Nobody wants to hear you pretending to be someone else or super robotic. Because if I try to talk like Mark, it's not going to come across right. And if I talk like Rick, God bless us all. I agree. That would be, that would be a very bad idea. (laughs) All right. Next, next up on the five A's of mission-based tweeting, amplify other voices. Actually, I think Mark should really be the one talking because he's trying to amplify me, but this is what he does best. So the, the concept here, uh, and it was really lucky, I, I was delighted to give a talk on amplifying with intention at the Women in Medicine Summit. It's basically understanding opportunities that you have to use whatever platforms, forums, megaphones that you may have to let other people's voices be heard, oftentimes louder than yours, which then leads to what I love. Uh, amplification leads to collaboration and collaboration leads to amplification. And Kelly, you and I are a perfect example of that. We've amplified each other and we've written papers together. We've got the rest of our careers to continue to do fun stuff together. Next one, accelerate your work. Oh, but before we talk about that, oh, yeah. if you haven't talked about it already, you should know that he won an award at the summit that he should tell you about because I will amplify his amazingness right now with that. That's very sweet of you. I was, I was, deeply truly honored to be awarded the uh women in medicine summit i stand with women he for she award this year and it was a tremendous honor i'm incredibly proud of it thank you for saying that congratulations, congratulations. A, a bird had told me that well so i was deserved. gonna ask you yeah i was gonna- so well deserved i know i texted rick i'm like if you're talking to him you should make sure he tells you about this <laughs> <laughs> and really that's I very think, i think amplification is how we got you on the podcast in the first place dr shapiro um, so, you, so first of all, Sarah, you have yeah. to call me Mark or I'm hanging up. Like that's just like, oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. That's, this will be a really habit. short podcast. That's right. <laughs> it's absolutely right. That and the fact, Kelly, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure you know this dirty drinks podcast. Like who says no to that ever? I mean, really? I'm just waiting for it to happen like after hours so I can have like the drink with the podcast. <laughs> no, know. You know, I mean, that's going to be the live one that we do sometime. I'm going to come out to Omaha. I really, really want to. And so sometime I'm going to come out, we're going to do some fun stuff. And then we're going to do a live show at a bar and it'll be like dirty drinks, explore the space mashup. And there will be parts that will be recorded and parts that will just be for those in attendance for sure. 
I'm Gotta happy be. to offer the pontoon ride, Rick, while we do this on the water for a little bit too, and then non-recorded oh, work. Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> I, live, I live on a lake. Rick has got his pool and everything else in his backyard too, but I live on the lake so we can walk down and like have the party barge version. Uh, uh, mandatory. All right, so the next one on the five A's of mission-based tweeting, accelerate your work. Yeah, so this is the concept that you have the capacity to share what you're having expertise in, what you're speaking about, what you're passionate about, what you're publishing. And it impacts your visibility, but also those major metrics. If you share an article on Twitter, more people access it. It changes your bibliometrics, like your alternative metrics, and it can accelerate the speed at which you rise as far as those traditional kind of barriers that people look at, especially in academic medicine for your H index. The more people read it, the more people cite it, the rapid speed changes. And instead of like 17 years from, you know, like onset to bedside, maybe it takes 10 years for implementation of your great work. If it's clinical based, if it's a Twitter based article, you can just amplify the heck really fast out of it. Like we've been doing and see it change very quickly. So Sarah, for you, you're a, you're a podcast host. You've helped create dirty drinks podcast. You work at home during a pandemic, which I think we can all acknowledge can feel very isolating. When you think about accelerating your work, what have you found to be like sticky and resonant for you to drive your various projects that you're working on? Oh gosh, I think just the lack of being able to be on site with facilities since, you know, I'm an infection preventionist, a lot of that is hands-on and yeah. it's hard to do that over a Zoom meeting. So, you know, just not being able to be out with those facilities, it's been really really trying. It's really difficult. All right. So the next A of mission-based of the five A's avoid arguments. I think this one kind of speaks for itself, but Kelly, I think you can knock this one out of the park because you're really good at this. When you get trolled or people attack, you don't engage back because it looks like a bunch of toddlers having a temper tantrum online and it doesn't end well for anyone's reputation. Yeah. I think you that just that's, don't do it. Yeah. that's the key thing. It's really, really tempting, but it's, it's, Oftentimes you're not even arguing with another human being and it's a bot. It's something from a bot farm and you can't tell the difference. Um, we have all gotten into arguments on social media, Twitter or wherever it is. Um, but in terms of mission-based work, it's, it's, it's useful to try to avoid them. The last one, and I think it'd be cool if we all get to sound off on this one because we're all active on social media and we know that this is a, this is a little bit squishy. Always be professional and I'm going to put professional in quotes but Kelly why don't you start and let's kind of go around the horn on always be professional so actually what I tell people every time we think about this is if you're standing on a stage in front of 10,000 people and you wouldn't put the photo up you wouldn't say it you wouldn't engage in that argument on that stage you should not do it on social media they're called platforms for a reason Rick, how about for you? And I, I apologize. I see what I'm doing and I'm going to just totally own it because I'm totally actually having a ton of fun. On you. I am. I have totally hijacked Dirty Drinks podcast and I'm putting it on my CV and I'm not going to apologize again. Hey, this is great. I think it'll be like a key part of your CV, honestly. I mean, I might <laughs> I mean, get you that next position. Um, totally. <laughs> um, I don't know. For me, I, anytime I'm putting anything on, on social media, I always I type it and then I step back and I read it before I hit yeah. send so that I can yeah. make sure that that is really something that I want to say. Because I think emotions can get the best of you at times. And it's so easy to put something out there that you really didn't want out there because you're emotional at the moment. And so take a minute, think about it. 
um, cool down and then send what you really think you need to say rather than getting caught up in the moment. That's a great take. I bet you you've given that that 90 seconds on rounds before. I think I have. Yeah, that's really good. Sarah, how about for you, though, when you think about this idea of professionalism and social media, what are the kind of guiding lights for you? Um, I think first, I would echo what Kelly said. Um, you know, you're, you're definitely on a stage and what you say matters. Um, you know, for me, my my key driver is like, if, if my grandma read this or saw this picture, would she would she be okay with it? <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all going to post about our family and what we have going on, but you know, there are some things that are inappropriate that you should not put out there. That's really, really good. All right. I am totally going to like relinquish the reins. That was super <laughs> fun. You guys have really indulged me. Um, let's switch, let's switch this back around, but thank you for letting Kelly and I kind of break through the five major five A's of mission-based tweeting. That was awesome. And I think Sarah, you need to have your own little the grandma test like post on Twitter about oh, this. Can we yeah. use that officially and tagline you to it? Because I think that's like the one. <laughs> I, I will start that right after. Let's that's get grandma really on the show sometime. So we can, <laughs> that would be. Can it be like um, Jimmy Fallon doing like things I've seen on Twitter? <laughs> oh <laughs> my god. I love it. I love that would it. be that would be great. Yeah, thanks, Kelly, for jumping on and joining us. So we'll have to plan the visit, obviously, for decent weather and maybe College World Series, so we could get downtown and do, you know, boat College World Series, downtown bars, all kinds of good stuff. Because I love you it. You know, honestly, Omaha, some of the time of the year is not the most exciting place to visit, but uh... <laughs> that's because you don't ice skate. <laughs> yeah. Kelly, neither do You're I. So just for the record, <laughs> unless you unless you want me checked into urgent care before the live show, I'm not ice skating. We'll get you the double blade ones in the chair and it'll be fine. You just have to drive down the street here to ice skate. It's fine. Oh gosh, you I mean, guys are painting a picture. Bro. I'm, I'm from smokes. Northern Minnesota, like almost Canadian. That's why my accent sticks out at times. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But oh, if you do awesome. injure yourself, we'll all have our stethoscopes like your son. So it'll be okay. <laughs> But first, Dr. Starlin has to practice hand hygiene. Oh, that, that's a joke that we have. Whenever you can't answer a question, the next the first thing to do is go get a hand hygiene because it gives you like 15, 20 seconds to think about something. It buys you some time. I it like does. That. I should put <laughs> a hand hygiene dispenser. Yeah, that's a great question. Let me think about it while I wash my hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to put a hand hygiene dispenser next to the mic for Explore the Space when the guest says something that catches me off guard. I just, uh, pardon me for just a moment here. I'm just gonna, <clears throat> you can't see me, but I'm washing my hands. That's that's Sarah and, and mine uh, inside dirty drinks joke is the hand hygiene thing. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. This is your guys show. I'm still here. I'm so fired up. Let's keep going. Has the wasabi worn off yet? No. Oh my gosh, I'm a disaster. I'm glad Kelly kind of like took some airtime. <laughs> so right before we started, Kelly, I ate lunch and my sushi had way too much wasabi on it. And so right when we green right when the green light came on, I was like streaming and I'm still in recovery. So but you seem okay. really nervous for the video podcast as the sweat comes down. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm the on the other side of the mic. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I'm usually pretty unflappable, but I was like, boy, if they're filming for video, they're going to see me looking like I had a tough night. All good. That's, so you were talking about hospitalist. Yeah, right. host yeah, you were talking about hospitalist <laughs> work and doing that before we got interrupted. Right. Where in the world are you? I am 
currently in Santa Rosa, California, and that is just north of San Francisco. It's the town I grew up in. I did my training. Uh, undergrad was UCLA. Medical school was Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Uh, residency was UC San Diego. And then I took a job in San Diego as a hospitalist right out of residency. And I was there for a decade with Sharpie Sealy Medical Group. I loved every minute of it. A fabulous group of people, amazing hospital system, got to learn from some wonderful folks, still still family there. I mean, it was just a, a great formative experience for me. And then I got the chance to come home and you know, really help lead our help participate in leading our, our medical group here that is responsible for taking care of the upper third of state of California, which is super exciting, very, very challenging. And uh, you know, definitely the stuff that I really, really enjoy and continue to feel a great deal of meaning in minutes away from Napa and Sonoma as well. So, I mean, how can you Napa argue Napa and with Sonoma, that? I'm in the middle of it. Santa yeah. Rosa is like, they come to us. Napa <laughs> and Sonoma. Come on. Go ahead, Sarah. The, sorry. Air, the airport's here, like Napa and Sonoma. Anyway, sorry, I'm fine. That's okay. Thanks for Kelly joining us, Kelly. Kelly just put in it. the chat that she has to sign off. Kelly, what a treat. I'm so happy we finally met. Thank you. Absolutely. No, I'm, I don't want to like, you know, commandeer your very um, special time with dirty drinks because you never know where it's going to go from here. <laughs> Although I feel like I almost like as you're talking about where you're from, I'm like, oh, look, I just had wine delivered from Napa. Like you just needed to like hop with the boxes through. That's right. That's, it right. Over. That's right. I think the but best option in mind next time I make it back there. Yeah, I was going to say sure. the best option is actually to have dirty drinks there. I know. I mean, really? We should do I, that. I know all the, the spots, you know, all of the like, everything kind of flows through. So, so Santa Rosa is the, we're the county seat for Sonoma County. And so Sonoma is obviously part of Sonoma County, Napa is in Napa County and, you know, they do their own thing. But yeah, no, it's, it's awesome here. The food, the drink, the wine, it's, it's, it's amazing. I think that's going to have to be a strategic planning meeting for dirty drinks that has to be offsite just so we can focus appropriately. But Sarah, can you help us coordinate some CME so that we can use our CME budget for it? Sure. All right. I'll get right you on give that. one lecture on podcasting. I'll give one on Twitter amplification okay. and we're just rock and solid. We're all, right? set. we're all set. I love it. <laughs> Kelly, it was great to see you. Nice to see you too. Have fun guys. See you Bye, later. Casey. See you. Thanks. So I was curious, uh, what made you decide hospitalist? I don't know yet. Um, I, <laughs> I, I'm, tr I'm glad you're asking these questions because I am actually really in a place of consciously trying to not answer them the way I have answered them before, because it starts to sound anodyne. Um, five years ago, three years ago, it was, I liked the kinetic nature of the hospital. I didn't want to do a fellowship. All true, all still true, but I'm a different person now. Um, and I'm still a hospitalist. So it's, I think at the time, it was, I, you know, just being really honest, I did not want to train anymore. I really wanted to be done. Um, my residency experience was very challenging. Uh, my institution where I did my residency now, to their credit, the Department of Internal Medicine is soaring. It's one of the best in the country. When I was there, it was tough. Um, and I just wanted to get to work. I wanted to start making a little bit of money to pay down my debt and just start to have a little bit of fun. I was about to get married. Um, and I just, I, I, life needed to get going. Life just needed to start. Um, and I, even at the time I saw what I referred to, and, and I know that this sounds harsh as what, what I referred to as the academic hamster wheel. I saw it in my medical school and I felt myself on it running as fast as I can. And it was never enough for me, not for others, but for me that I was in this, this churn 
and it was really uncomfortable. Hospital medicine did allow me to do the things that I loved, which is to be in the hospital setting. I like the acuity. I like the challenge. I like working all different hours, all different shifts, seeing a, an extraordinary diversity of patients and, and you know, conditions and all of these sorts of things. At that time, though, I, I just needed life to get started and hospital medicine really afforded that. It's been 16 years. So clearly, I really do like it. And I'm, you know, I'm going back to work on Wednesday and I'm, I'm excited. Um, so there's a lot to it. But at the time, you know, not having the strategic vision to say, I'm going to be 15 years still super happy. It was, I just need to get to work. Yeah, when I was finishing up uh, in 99, and I finished up internal medicine, then it wasn't quite as big of, you know, hospitalist programs, uh, you know, all over the place yeah. and everything yeah. else. So, and most of my, I trained at Wash U, so most of us did some sort of specialty that was just kind of the nature of the beast uh, coming from there. So, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I did ID basically for the same reasons, you know, it's like, I like being in the hospital. I like helping sick people um, and hopefully making them better uh, is kind of, uh, uh, you know, a big, uh, big part of it. So I completely get that. Yeah. Uh, so on top of being a hospitalist, you are also a podcast host, which we've mentioned a couple of times already. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast and like why you do it? I totally do. <laughs> that felt like a tiny bit shots fired and I loved it. No, not at all. I was going to ask a question anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, why, why did I get into podcasting? So again, I've been giving, I've been asked that question before and I am consciously trying to answer it differently now. Looking back at the time, I think I was seeking a creative outlet that I didn't have, um, kind of thinking about it in retrospect. At the time, podcasting was new, but I was someone who had always really enjoyed like the oral tradition and storytelling and audiobooks on cassette and CD. Uh, you know, whenever I would do a road trip, I was the guy getting audiobooks from the library to like, you know, kill nine hours driving to LA or something like that. Podcasts really lent themselves well to that, I guess, instinct. And I was doing work with Practicing Excellence, which is a fabulous company. I still do work with them today. And I invited them because they're doing work around your know, organizational improvement, position leadership, finding purpose in your work. Like, you guys should have a podcast. And I saw them launch one. And the biggest barrier to entry for me came down where I saw that the tech was not that hard, um, even for a guy who had zero training like myself. And so I just kind of went for it. Um, I asked permission from my medical group. And I told them kind of what my conceit was that with Explore the Space, looking at issues in healthcare from the perspective of those seeking it and the perspective of those who seek to provide it and got permission, not gonna use the organizational name, not gonna represent myself as a you know sharp Resealy physician uh, and just kind of rolled out. Clearly I was seeking some sort of a creative outlet, some sort of an outlet to connect with other professionals in the United States, some sort of an outlet to gather information on topics that I thought were interesting. And that's exactly what's happened and it is, I, I pinch myself. I can't believe it. How long it's have you awesome been doing show. it? Uh, yeah, no, it's totally awesome. I've been doing it since May of, I don't remember, I think 2014 or 2015. And oh, actually I this morning I dropped episode 250. Wow. That's exciting. I know. That's awesome. It's pretty rad. It's pretty cool. I so think you, you are, you are 14 for us. Nice. Yeah. You're in double figures. No we joke. Are. Like I'm not saying nice just as a platitude, like legit it's hard work. This is, you know, unpaid stuff. You're doing it as a labor of love. Four, that's, you know, double digits is that's staying power. So keep it up. Seriously. Thank you. 
Yeah, thanks very much. We appreciate it. And certainly uh, we could use some pointers if, uh, if you have any to, to give us, but uh, you have to, so you have to tell us a little bit about med lasso. <laughs> All right. And is there so, a lad masso too? Like there's a, 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 a lad tasso. So med lasso, I'm delighted you brought it up. So it's a, it's a reference. It's a hat tip to the TV show, Ted Lasso. Not everyone has seen it. I, the, the ultimate example of siloing is how I feel like everybody on the planet watches Ted Lasso because there's a lot of chatter on social media about it. But, you know, look, it, this is not the Dallas finale in 1981 where like right. 75 million people watch or whatever. It's not the Super Bowl, but it's cool. And it's a very, very popular show. And it's a lot of fun. It won a bunch of Emmys. The conceit is this football coach goes to the UK to coach a premier league soccer team. And the way I describe the show, because that sounds like a you know plug for a, for a sitcom, it's a show about people living in a chaotic time, living, communicating, leading and partnering with the guiding lights of empathy, collegiality, accountability, and teamwork. And for healthcare workers right now, that sounds like a panacea. And the show really has resonated with physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals of all stripes. And Med Lasso was a creation to kind of honor that and to give us a, a place to take the, the entertainment value to a much more kind of personal level for all of us. And using Twitter with hashtag Med Lasso as a place to communicate about it. And then releasing one episode a week when an episode of Ted Lasso comes out has been amazing. Uh, people really seem to be enjoying it and it's fun. It's exciting, just like the show is, right? But it's also emotional because people share really difficult things that they're experiencing. And uh, it's it's super special. People can check it out. You know, just go on Twitter uh, and check out hashtag Med Lasso and you'll see people now from all over the world talking about it. And it's it's very, very cool. It's awesome that you're doing that. And I finished, I just finished season one this last weekend. So what did you think? Super you excited. Think? You think? Oh, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I think you're right. It really does resonate with healthcare providers a lot. I feel yeah. like we've been, um, we've been attacked and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now and just, it kind of gave me some faith in humanity again. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Yeah. I hate waiting for a new episode to come out every Friday. I mean, I'm like, we're spoiled. I'm used to Netflix and they drop the whole season at once. You know, know. it's, it's I like know. sitting around and waiting every, uh, Friday. As soon as it's done, I'm like, I can't wait to watch this. <laughs> I get to drop another gratuitous West coast plug. We get to watch it on Thursday. Because the episodes release at midnight Eastern. That's nine Pacific. I'm still awake and I'm in good form at 9 p.m. Pacific time. Like it's Destination TV, 901, click, and I'm on it. It's the best. My wife and I are on the couch, snacks in hand, ready to go. Yeah, we usually do that Friday night because we're super exciting here in Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Starlin and I were talking earlier about like, we're, we're really spoiled, you know, with all this whole streaming stuff, like remember when you had to run to the bathroom on commercial breaks oh my gosh if you missed your episode for the week you didn't get to see it ever (laughs) it's so funny that you mentioned that do you guys remember um when the Seinfeld finale happened and it was like a huge social occasion I was in LA and there was an article the next day in the LA Times about how LA municipal water and power had not anticipated the water demand in these like 90 second increments because everybody was flushing their toilets in the entire city of Los Angeles at the exact same time. That's hilarious. Oh, that is pretty dang funny. <laughs> I wonder if that influenced the streaming platforms at all. Gosh, uh, I would I would submit if the 
governor is on is an investor and doesn't want to deal with the political fallout of like you know falling water pressure in a municipality i could see that happening you'll run for governor sarah you'll win and then you'll oh, i don't want that <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like an awful idea right now <laughs> um so another question we always ask our guests is what is the craziest thing that you've ever seen can take this in a lot of different directions yeah, I, I'm going to go a little sentimental. I'm going to go a little okay. softy on this one. I'm going to go a little softy on this one. The craziest thing I've ever seen, and it was just good fortune. When my son was born, as he literally emerged into the world, it was just a fluke that I was stationed that as he was sort of rotated forth, he was facing me. And I saw, like, I, I saw the instant the embryologic circulation closed the, uh, the 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 human circulation opened and he went <gasps> and they screamed at me and that was the coolest craziest thing i've ever seen it was literally all that embryology that i learned as a first year medical student at baylor and then we would talk about on rounds in the icu occasionally i i almost could like hear a click of like a snap of the you know the one vessel opening and another closing it was the coolest thing ever and it was totally crazy he took this huge breath and then he just screamed at me. It was awesome. That is sorry. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's that's good. That's really good. So hey, the, our our podcast born a little bit about out of uh, infection prevention and things like that. And so as a hospitalist, you have a big role in in probably doing some of the stuff in the hospital with infection prevention, but a lot of antimicrobial stewardship type yeah. stuff and everything yep. like that. Yep. So how how does that work with a you know not an ID, not an infection prevention expert that 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 has roles to play in infection prevention and antimicrobial stewardship? It's a great question. It's a wonderful question. It's a real opportunity for us to acknowledge the importance of what I see almost as an evolution in medicine of understanding that you are part of a team of equal experts. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember all of the things that I need to remember taking care of 14, 18, whatever number of patients a day on call with respect to appropriate selection and discontinuation of antibiotic therapy. I, there's no way. It is the peak of hubris to think that you can. And for me, what I have come to learn, and I've had some really good mentors help me to understand and get better. I have to lean on the rest of my team. I have to ask them for their help. And when they offer it unsolicited, take it on board and not push back. They're almost always right. And that is the key part for me, that this is a thing where if I had to do it on my own, I suppose that I could but it would be a slog. It would diminish my ability to take care of my patients in a timely manner. I think I could still deliver adequate care, good care, but it would be way slower. Um, I think it's an opportunity to say that we cannot practice 21st century medicine as a, as a solitary individual. I think anti antimicrobial stewardship is the perfect example of that. You must have an integrated team sharing information bi-directionally, tri-directionally, whatever the case may be to make the right decision in the moment so that you can be confident in it. And then you can also move on because there's a lot more work to do. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And that's largely what hospitalists were born from, right? Because primary care used to do the work that hospitalists do. I mean, they, you used to have the triple threat, you know, somebody that did patient care, teaching, and research at the same time. And it's gotten so complicated. And just doing patient care 
all the time is, is hard and it's hard to do something, be good and efficient in the office and do the same thing in a hospital, right? Completely different skill sets with completely different needs. Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly the point. And as we refine our toolbox, uh, yeah, I mean, I could step out and do something different if I needed to, but I'd rather just move in parallel with the rest of the team. It's not good to be a jack of all trades, but better to be a master of one. Ah, but that's interesting. Even the the people who created hospital medicine say that we are good at many things, but we are the master of none as hospitalists. So, you know, Bob Walker has talked about this and there's a wonderful book called Range by a, a writer named David Epstein. And he writes about it from the perspective more around like his first book was about sports, but Range was basically around why it's good to have lots of interest and do lots of different things and be skilled in many, many things. And I had him on the show because when I read it, I'm like, dude, you're describing hospital medicine. And we had a really, really fun conversation. I think he would be fun for you guys to talk to about this, actually. He's a, he's a great guy and he's super, super smart. But that's, that's an interesting, I, I would have framed it completely differently and we're both right. I, I, mean, I guess, what, is, what is, do you see as the future of hospital medicine? What, uh, it seems like it's certainly a, uh, a popular destination right now. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, work-life balance, not having to, uh, you know, you don't, I mean, I guess maybe you're on call. I don't know how your setup is, but it's kind of when you're done with work, you sign your patients out to somebody else and then you're, then you're, then you're not really necessarily bothered too much until you're back again, which is, I think, attractive, certainly to the younger generation. And it doesn't sound bad to me. I mean, my phone goes off all the time because I don't have that. Um, but where do you think this goes? I haven't been asked about the future for a while. I think while we're still in the teeth of the pandemic, I get a little nervous, like what's it? Cause I don't, I don't think we know exactly what this is all going to look like. That being said, I would submit that the demand for hospital-based specialists of all varieties is going to skyrocket. It's going to skyrocket. During the pandemic, whenever it moves to a different phase where things start to feel like they're going back to whatever normal looks like at that time, when everybody goes back and debriefs and says, okay, how do we do disaster readiness? They're going to say, we need to make sure our hospitals are staffed better. We need to make sure that when we talk about flattening the curve for the next time, we have a lot more area under the curve uh, to deal with this, right? Hospitals run lean on their best day, staffing wise, every, in every which way, right? We run super duper lean. You guys feel that just the same way I do. That perspective must change that perspective absolutely must change. There, there has to be a strategic vision that says our hospitals and our point of care delivery in the acute environment, we must have the ability to expand more where that expansion does not mean we poach the, the post-op area or we have to put up a tent outside. We have to be much more creative and much more specific than that because we're going to do this again. And I hope that we have the wherewithal to say it will take tremendous capital investment. It will take tremendous investments of time and energy, and it will absolutely save lives. We cannot do it the same way again. And we have to acknowledge that the expansion of the availability of acute care must happen. Um, and you just make it modular, make it where you know how you're going to expand it and you, and you just do it, but the, it, it has to be different than this time. So Coming back around to the original question, I think based on that hypothesis, the demand is going to absolutely skyrocket. 
Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, we couldn't have certainly cared for the patients here without relying heavily on our hospitalist team. And they were stretched to just, you know, to the nth degree, uh, you know, they, you know, and then you but get we all the, are. You, yeah, you're an infection disease, infectious disease specialist. I can only imagine what it's been like for you. Sarah, you're in charge of infection control during a pandemic. I, I, the pressure that that puts one under is massive. And we just have to acknowledge that and say, hey, we're doing the best that we can for the next time. We need three Sarahs. We need five Dr. Starlins. We need 40 hospitalists. We need to leverage technology to do it, right? I don't need to necessarily be at the bedside to round on 25 hospitalized patients. Some of them I do, but maybe I could have somebody in the hospital that can do that for me. And the rest of them, we can use a virtual environment that we would only use under extraordinary circumstances. Uh, but we have to think about it. And, and that sort of thinking came from me when we, in 2017, my area was hit by a wildfire called the Tubbs Fire. And it was extraordinarily catastrophic. We, we lost 5,000 something homes. Um, I think there were 25 deaths. Uh, my, half my high school burned down. It was, it, we're still recovering. We've had wildfire since then, but I bring this up because we had to amend how we delivered care that morning, that day. We're like, we can't do things. We can't expect people to like write the usual progress note and do things that make billing all like, we're not gonna be able to see all these patients. We have people scattered all over the Bay area, half of who just lost their home. That type of thinking of, okay, in this setting, how do we adapt, keep people safe, first do no harm, deliver care the best that we can, meet patients' needs, but using the staff that we have available, like things have to give um, and it can't just be asking people to be more resilient. Yeah. I mean, we could use a little bit less regionalism as well and have, you know, a bigger network of knowing where there's beds, where there's where there's uh, people and bodies and everything else that can be moved around because, I mean, everybody got so protective, which is understandable because you had to take care of what you were going to see at the moment, but we couldn't shift to areas that were, you know, really hit hard at a particular time just because it did, we didn't have that capacity or or any kind of a logistics worked out for that sort of thing so hopefully we learn a lot from this and don't have a short memory because I, i'm just afraid that we're going to because you know it's not like this was our first rodeo this was our third or fourth or That's fifth right. rodeo right. and, this is why sarah needs to run for governor no like i'm not actually <laughs> kidding when i say that it would be amazing to have someone who has seen and done what you've done that sort of organizational leadership perspective running the state government so think about it i will i will file that away for the future <laughs> good good yeah so it's really great to hear you talk about you know all of these you know the staffing needs and all of these um, different changes that we need to make in the healthcare system and really that's a part of why we're doing this podcast is to hopefully help inspire future generations of providers infection preventionists other frontline healthcare workers um, what advice would you have for them if they're trying to decide what to do? Trust your gut. I mean, if you're, if you're approaching a decision that's that big and broad, it requires a, a, a response that, that, that is that big and broad. As they get more granular, I will give more specific advice. But it's trust your gut that this is what you want to do. And then in parallel, it is understand the skills that are required understand where you already have strengths and build on them, understand where you have opportunities for improvement and work on them and go forward, go, step into the tension and go because we need you and we will be delighted to have you. But the situational awareness of 
saying, what does my gut say? Am I doing this for the right reasons? And the right reasons are only for the individual to understand. And then saying, all right, with a careful inventory, I feel like I'm good at this. So I'm going to really lean into it. And I need to understand this strategy better, or I need to build this skill more. So I'm going to really practice. I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to have a mentor. I'm going to get feedback um, and be accountable to it. With that mindset, step forward. We're ready. We'd love to, and we'll let, we would love to have you. It'll be awesome. Great advice. Yeah, great answer. I will say that uh, Kelly has already started amplifying her drop in on the show. So um, I can't say I, I didn't go to bed learning something today. So I appreciate that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Does that mean now great. that you're going to take over the Twitter account, Dr. Starlin? <laughs> You do all the tech stuff. Remember, I'm I, Mark and I are on the similar front and you, you guys have to call me Rick, by the way, you're not allowed to call me Dr. Starlin. I okay. can't really drop off my own show, but otherwise I would have hung up too. But, I will uh, do my best. It's just, a, it's a habit that I've gotten I know. into no, over I get the it. years. And... It, you know what? And I, I totally respect that. I do the same thing. I, I, you know, four years of medical school in Texas and everyone was doctor or sir or ma'am. Um, I still do it when I feel like, you know, the, the walls are coming in, I, I still fall back to it. So when I invite you to call me Mark, it's totally fine if you don't, but um, whatever feels the most instinctive. And, and I think that's, what's going to make your guys show continue to grow and be fun is exactly what you've created here, right? This is a really, we've literally never talked on the phone. We, I think we DM'd a few times and here we are. And yep. like, I haven't laughed this much on a podcast. I think, well, I guess I recorded a med lasso last night, but that aside, as a me being a guest to have this natural and fun of a dynamic, like you guys are, you guys are cooking with gas here and it's awesome. Oh, we appreciate that. We appreciate that. Hey, by the way, you know, I happened, I was born at Beale, not too far from, you know, where you are up in, up near Yuba city. So oh, well, North, I'm, Northern I'm, California. Yeah, that's way, that's way North. I'm closer to San Francisco than that, but yeah. I, wow. Yeah. So small world, right? And I, totally. But I've lived all over. So you said this sir and ma'am thing. I was, I'm an air force brat. So I completely oh, okay. get that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. We greatly appreciate it. We'll have to have a conversation again, maybe when the pandemic's over so we can figure out where we go next, but we certainly have to schedule a visit. I'm, I'm there. My talk is ready. We will do the live show. We've already got a reservation on a pontoon boat. While we've been talking, I actually made the booking for uh, the, I don't even know where Kelly lives. So I just go, I'm going to Google, I'm going to Google Nebraska Lake boat and we'll see what we find. You might find it that way because there's probably not there many. We don't, we don't have that many, We don't have that much water. <laughs> the Nebraska Lake boat podcast. I love it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you both so much. This was a total blast. Appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Good luck. I'll look forward to your next med lasso uh, uh, podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of dirty drinks. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. If they enjoy dirty drinks.